0: Well, welcome again to another podcast, Down to Earth, Heavenly-Minded. We're going to be finishing our first chapter in the Gospel of John today. It's going to be a little bit longer. And uh, so with that said, I'm going to get going right away here. And uh, uh, the next time we get together, we're going to be in Chapter 2 of John. But uh, we're going through... The Gospel of John with Keith Gorgas as he put this paper together and he sent it to me. And uh, we're doing this free of charge. Uh, So I hope you're enjoying it. And with that said, let us just get going here. (laughs)
1: The only begotten of the Father. A layman looks at John's Gospel, John 1 Part 6, The Testimony of John the Baptist, Kant. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. From the fall until now, the faithful were looking for the Lamb of God. Abel offered a lamb as his substitute and we have those words uttered by Abraham as he and Isaac walked up Mount Moriah, My son, God will provide for himself a lamb. All the thousands of lambs offered up over the years could only cover sin, never put it away. Finally, in the fullness of time, God has provided himself a lamb. John points his hearers to Jesus and says, Behold, look at, gaze on the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. I'm going to copy something from a Christian website, Compelling Borg because I think it's very helpful in understanding what is being taught here. It's a bit lengthy, but this is an essential part of the gospel, and it is important doctrine that we need to understand. It is not teaching us that every person in the world will go to heaven or is saved, but that the death of Christ was sufficient to clear up the whole sin question before God, and God now offers His gospel to whosoever wills may come. Those who do not believe or refuse to accept salvation will be consigned to hell because they believe not on the name of the only begotten Son of God. The definition of propitiation is to appease or to satisfy. In many religions, people seek to appease God or the gods with a variety of actions or rituals they believe will make their God or gods pleased. In contrast, Christianity reveals that Jesus Christ is our propitiation, the one who has satisfied the Father on our behalf so we can be forgiven of our sins and have eternal life. How did Jesus become our propitiation? Hebrews 2 verse 17 explains, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. By taking on a human form, Jesus came and offered Himself as a sacrifice on our behalf through His death on the cross. Three other passages in the New Testament also note the important role of Christ's propitiation. Romans 3 verses 24-25 says we are justified by His grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood, to be received by faith. Here, the blood of Jesus shed on the cross is emphasized as what appeased God or served as our propitiation. In 1 John 2 verse 2 we also read, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world. This verse reveals the extent of Christ's propitiation. Christ's sacrifice was sufficient to pay for the sins of every person in the world. This does not mean that every person is saved and will go to heaven. Instead, it refers to the truth presented in John 3.16 that God will give eternal life to anyone who believes in Jesus Christ. 1 John 4.10 offers an additional insight regarding the biblical view of propitiation, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God's love led to the radical decision to send Jesus to die in order to pay the penalty for our sins. Propitiation, or satisfying God's requirement for salvation, was paid for by Christ himself. Salvation is a free gift from God, not something we earn. As Ephesians 2 verses 8-9 teaches, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. What is clear in these passages is that Jesus is the only way sufficient to provide eternal life and be saved. John 14 verse 6 teaches, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4 verse 12 adds, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Many other biblical passages speak in other ways about the importance of Christ's death. His sacrifice paid the price for our sins so we can be forgiven. Yet we also rejoice in his resurrection, knowing that Jesus defeated death and revealed his power as Lord, Romans 10 verse 9. As scripture teaches, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, Romans 10 verse 11. This is he in behalf of whom I said, After me is coming a man who has proved to be my superior, because he existed before me. And I did not recognize him, but so that he would be revealed to Israel, I came baptizing in water. We get the historical details of the Lord's baptism in the other Gospels, but here John the Baptist acknowledges that he didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah until he saw the Holy Spirit descend like a dove upon him. And John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. This anointing of the Holy Spirit marked the beginning of Jesus' public ministry and shortly the end of the baptizer's service. We know from the other Gospels that God spoke from heaven when Jesus was baptized, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. God the Father had declared him to be his beloved Son, and John testified that he was the Son of God. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. The Conclusion of John the Baptist's Testimony and Its Results John's Gospel is characterized by giving us chronological order. Jesus' Public Ministry First Converts Again the next day John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. John the Baptist had baptized Jesus and hear the voice of God from heaven, This is my beloved Son. John had borne witness of him that he was the Christ. Now the next day, he was standing with two of his followers and Jesus walked by. John looked on him with adoration and said to his disciples, Behold, the Lamb of God. This was not a great doctrinal statement, but the frank appreciation of who Jesus was. Men want followers of their own. They are jealous of their congregations and admirers. Even among true Christians, we find the attitude of, he follows not with us. There is nothing of this in John, nor should there be in any true servant of Christ. He pointed his followers to Christ. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. The person of Christ attracted them in a way they could not deny. This is true service to our Lord and being a faithful witness. And Jesus turned and saw them following, and said to them, What are you seeking? Now the Lord knew all about these two, and he had plans for them, but he begins with a searching question, What are you seeking? This is a good question for all of us. What are we seeking? Fame, riches, power, or a good reputation? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? They wanted him. They wanted to know where He was lodging. We know the Lord has ascended back to the Father's right hand in heaven, but where is He on earth? In a monastery or cathedral? On a mountain top or in a megachurch with dancers and flashing lights? He has told us, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. That is, when they come together as Christians. I think it must grieve the Lord when believers start meeting together. The first thing they often do is to come up with a name for themselves. We have been called by his name and that should be sufficient for us. When we form a group of some of the Lord's people, it by nature excludes others. He said to them, come and you will see. Christianity is not theoretical but deeply practical and experiential. The Lord could have answered them with an address or location, but he bid them come and see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, it was about the tenth hour. Their hearts had been won, and they came and stayed overnight with him. One of the two who heard John speak, and followed him, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. We don't read a lot about Andrew, but here we find the heart of a true evangelist. He's not content to have found Jesus but is compelled to share the good news with his brother, Simon Peter. He first found his brother and gave him a simple message, we have found the Messiah. Peter, of course, occupied a preeminent place among the Lord's disciples for good and bad, but God uses Andrew's to find Peter's. Andrew then brought Peter to Jesus. We hear it often because it's true. Salvation is not some intellectual persuasion but a real living relationship with the Son of God. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The Lord conveyed a nickname to Peter, Pebble, or Little Stone. The next day he decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip. This was not a perchance meeting, but something the Lord determined to do to find a soul he was seeking. And Jesus said to him, follow me. This is the Christian life, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It is not mere repentance for sins and salvation from hell and for heaven, but a day by day, step by step walking even as he himself walked. It is a life poured out in devotion to the Master. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, It seems all these men were friends and were among the faithful remnant of Israel, those who spoke often one to another and longed for the coming Messiah. We have found him of whom Moses wrote in the law, and the prophets also wrote, Jesus the son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Here was the one who all the Old Testament, the law and the prophets bore witness of. Philip shared the good news with Nathaniel, who responded a little cynically. He doubted that any good thing could come out of Nazareth. Philip didn't try to win Nathaniel over with wise and crafty words, But simply said, Come and see. We will not win converts with lots of wise debates, but with the message, Come and see for yourself. Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good be from Nazareth? Philip Asterisk said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Here is truly an Israelite, in whom there is no deceit. The Lord had known Nathanael and chosen him before the foundation of the world. He knew exactly what was going on in his mind. Nathanael is startled by the Lord's familiarity with him and asks how the Lord knew him. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Whatever Nathanael had been thinking about while he sat under the fig tree, we are not told, but he realized that the Lord knew everything about him. He exclaimed. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. He instantly recognized him for who he was. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Quite properly, Nathanael as part of the godly remnant of Israel was waiting under the fig tree for an earthly kingdom to be set up. The Lord promised him greater treasures he would show him heavenly things. And the asterisk said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man.
0: Well, this brings us to the end of uh, the first chapter in the Gospel of John. A lot in this chapter. Of course, it took six sessions to get through the first chapter and next time we get together we'll be in chapter two uh i hope you're really enjoying these lessons and that you're getting something out of them because i know i am uh keith has really got the gift and uh he uh of course uh is just an average guy like you and me and he's uh uh in in the eyes of the world uh people look down on people that are not uh in their class i'm not an educated man i've uh, i didn't even finish high school but i study the word of god uh in fact uh through reading the word of god the bible i learned how to read i was almost illiterate when I was 40 years old, I, I, I could hardly read. But by determination and wanting to understand what the Bible says, uh, I grew in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. And that's the only way we're going to do it, is just be immersed in the Word of God. We are to be occupied with the Lord and His Word until He comes. So with that said, I'm going to end my podcast. Until next time, uh, Lord bless, and uh, I hope you're enjoying this. Bye for now.